Hello and welcome to Cats Out of the Basket, the podcast. I'm Huzzy. Um, welcome back. It's good to have you back here. Thanks for listening to the first episode. If you haven't already, shame on you. Go check it out. Uh, today's a really special episode because it's the first episode with a guest. And the guest today is Tara. How are you, Tara? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. Which, uh, it's kind of weird to tell you welcome because this is your house. It's not usually <laughs> how it works. But yeah, welcome. Welcome to my house. <laughs> yeah. Welcomes all around. All right. So you're one of the people that uh, commented on the original post on that I made on Facebook. Yeah, so I, I did. I know you personally. Mm-hmm. So can you tell people a bit about how we met? Oh, okay. So we met in our undergraduate psychology degree. Yep. We were doing the perception unit mm-hmm. and we were in the same tutorial. Yeah. And I got partnered up with you as my lab partner. Yeah. And we kind of sucked. We <laughs> didn't really know what we were well, doing, but we were lost together. So You staged the greatest comeback I've seen in university. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I did too. So... Yeah. Yeah, well, I fa- I failed the mid semester exam. Yeah, and um, kind of pulled it, it together. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really good effort. It was I'm still impressed. Yeah, yeah, probably my greatest achievement in yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> so far. So far. Yeah. All right. Um, so I understand you've just finished your masters. Yes, oh. yesterday. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, so how does that feel to, to have that all done and dusted? Oh, it's amazing. I feel so, so relieved. <laughs> Just the stress was insane. Yeah. But I feel good. It's great. So what? Just for the listeners, what was your master's? What did you study overall and, and all that? So I did my master's of professional psychology. Yeah. Um, Thank God I didn't have to do a thesis. It was predominantly coursework and placements and, yeah, it was really just applied psychology. Okay. That's great. That's, it's really important to, to do something like that. Obviously, what I'm doing with this is part of that mission just to, to make sure everyone's got the correct mental health and obviously you're going to be out there in the field and making a big difference so that's really awesome yeah thank you yeah so you've also got a job lined up i do yeah Yeah, so i just got a job at um liverpool hospital as the clinical care coordinator yeah great so you're excited for that i am so excited so excited yeah but a little bit nervous yeah Yeah. definitely (laughs) nervous but excited yeah awesome well i guess this is a good time to introduce the mysterious golden Chinese random question box. Okay. So it's sitting right here. We've got it right in front of us. So before you open it up, don't get too excited. Oh, all right. So before you open it up, I just want to explain how this works. So uh, I just want to give people a chance to know you a bit and also in the future some other guests. So. We've just got random questions that have nothing to do with uh, mental illness at all. So it's just whatever question. I've come up with a few of them, well, most of them. I've got a few from listeners. And if you're listening, 
and you want to chuck in a random question, comment, or or anything, me- message me, whatever, and I'll I'll give you a shout out. How's that? <laughs> I'll give you a shout out. So there's a few there that might get a shout out. All right. So if you want to pop that open and choose one, see how you go. It's a very fancy box. Yeah, I got it from a friend of mine who is Chinese, and he went over there, gave me a little gift, and it was in that box, and it's I awesome. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Are you a sore loser? Are you a bad winner? That's a hundred and ten percent. I am <laughs> the sorest loser of all sore losers. Um, my friends just won't play games with me. Okay. It doesn't happen. Are you even notoriously bad with games that don't really matter, like board games and stuff? Oh, Cards Against Humanity. Ooh. If my card isn't picked, that's it. I won't play anymore. It's rage time. People just don't get my humor. I'm funny. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not necessarily that bad of a winner, though, unless there's a bet. Yeah. If there's a bet, I'm an extremely bad winner. You're smug. I am. Yeah. You can't wipe that smug face off. No, I can't. No. Okay. That's good. That's a good question. Thank you. That was one of mine. Good job. Thanks. Uh, Do you want to try? We probably have time for another one. Why not? We'll do more later as well. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Can you speak any other languages? Um, sort of. Explain. Grew up in an Italian household, so I can speak a little bit of Italian, although it's in an a Aussie southern accent. dialect okay. with a heavy Australian oh accent. Um, my dad hates hearing me talk. Give us a taste. Ciao, come stai? Ciao, come stai? Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's all you need to know. Pretty it? much. Yeah, then you can get by in Italy. It's all good. Come ti chiamo Taro? Nice. Hmm. Yeah, good job. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll leave the random question box for now, I guess. So we'll get into the nitty gritty of, of this. So okay. Hope you're ready. Yep. Yep. So... I guess the first question that leads us into the nitty-gritty is what made you want to open up on the podcast and and talk to me and the listeners about what you've experienced? I guess with my experience, um, it's been a really bumpy ride and it's been difficult, but telling my story already has helped so many other people, not just even people with the same mental illness as me but just to know that it does exist uh and there is support out there Mm. just talking about it makes a huge difference i think in reducing the stigma yeah absolutely yeah because i find that a lot of i don't want to have a go at older generations but it sort of seems like it was a big taboo back in the day and just people did not talk about it at all. And it's sort of changing now with uh, just the way things are. Like, it seems like it's more okay to, to talk about it and I think it's really important, as you said. Yeah, 100%. I think as well, 
a lot of it can be cultural. Yeah. I know in my Italian family, it still is very much taboo Mm. and we don't talk about it. So I guess as well to kind of break free from the cultural restraints as well. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, totally. Well, that's a that's a really interesting point that maybe cross-culturally it's it's a bit different as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to ask you how did you notice there was something not quite right? Like what signs did you see? Yeah, so it probably started well I'd always had um, emotional distress. I was never, ever good at regulating my emotions Mm. from a very young age. Uh, I experienced a lot of trauma as a child and I began self-harming at the age of 11. So clearly something was up even back then. But we really kind of started to notice that something was really wrong in my early 20s when I kind of wasn't growing out of the teenage antics of the impulsivity and the risk-taking and the mood dysregulation. Mm. So that's when we kind of really started noticing, hey, maybe it wasn't just adolescence and... Something else is actually going on here. Yeah, because I guess sometimes, you know, with hormones and stuff, it's it's really difficult to know if there is something else besides just being an adolescent. Well, yeah, it's it's really hard because you have so much going on, not only the hormonal changes, but a lot of the symptoms of bipolar are kind of characteristic of just adolescence, that impulsivity, that risk-taking, mm. because their brain hasn't developed yet. So it's really hard to distinguish what's due to the brain neurologically not developing or is there something more going on. Mm. It's really hard. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I can't really imagine, to be honest. (laughs) It must be really tough. Um, So you mentioned that you were self-harming at 11. Yeah. Uh, Could you sort of pinpoint an even earlier age when you could sort of notice that you may be acting different to the other kids around you? It was probably at age 11 that I think I I started noticing. Yeah. I'm not sure really what was going on before then. I'm not sure if other people noticed. I, mm. I didn't personally. I started picking up on it when I was 11. Yeah. Okay, so... That's when you gain self-awareness. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Okay. And you've already sort of mentioned a bit. uh, What diagnosis did you receive? Yeah. So I was diagnosed with bipolar type 2. Yep. And when did you receive that diagnosis? I received that diagnosis when I was 21. Okay. Which is actually still quite young to be diagnosed. Okay. Very thankful that I was. Mm. So um, how did your life change after you were diagnosed? My life did a 180 because I was actually receiving the proper treatment 
um, a lot of bipolar treatment is medication. Yeah. So I was always in therapy and I was doing that side of it. But to be medicated properly completely changed my functioning. Mm. Okay, so that's the pairing of the therapy and the medication is really what helped you manage everything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So apart from being able to know what's going on and, uh, you know, receiving the, the treatments, what did the diagnosis do for you on top of that? It was kind of a relief for me when I got the diagnosis yeah. because there was actually a name for what I was experiencing. Mm. I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what. Yeah. But when I received the diagnosis, I was finally relieved because I was like, oh, there's a name for this and there's a treatment and people do get better. And it, yeah, not only that, but it, I guess there was a negative side to it as well. Mm. Obviously, there's a lot of stigma around bipolar. Yeah. People think either we're really violent and aggressive or we're these creative geniuses with high IQs and it's just <laughs> not are you, reality. Are you a creative genius? Definitely not. What's the most creative thing you've done? I make candles. That's creative. Yeah. Are they scented? No. See? Oh. Not, not creative, a creative genius. Not creative genius. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like what what do you think is the reason there's so much stigma around bipolar? Can you pinpoint anything in particular? Well, I guess it goes back to the treatment of bipolar when uh, mental asylums first opened. And I think that Back then, it was still named manic depression. It wasn't bipolar. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of stigma around it because they were seen as the crazy ones mm. in the mental asylums. Um, and it wasn't till really lithium was introduced as a mood stabilizer that things kind of changed for bipolar. And and not only that, I think. There's so much pop culture around it at the moment, like yeah, Silver Linings Playbook, yeah. um, Homeland, mm. that portray bipolar in a way that's not really accurate. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's a combination of things. Yeah. So obviously you've seen Silver Linings Playbook and Homeland. Yes. So how did you react when you saw these these forms of media and how they portrayed bipolar? Like, how did that affect you? Oh, uh, look, I was somewhat annoyed, but at the same time, I can acknowledge that my experience of bipolar may be completely different to mm. someone else who is diagnosed with bipolar. We all experience it differently. Yeah. I guess it was just the, the stereotyping that I had an issue with. Hmm. Because I guess that's one of the things they don't really go into when when they have these 
these films or TV shows is that this is just one particular experience of it. They don't yeah. they don't have a disclaimer saying this isn't how it's experienced for everyone. Yeah. So I guess that's where that stigma and those preconceived ideas probably come from. Yeah, 100%. And I just think of the writers and the producers and I think, God, you've obviously never seen someone in real life with bipolar. Yeah. It's just so misconstrued and so misguided. Mm. But like I said, you know, that's just one experience. Yeah. That may be very indicative of, of someone else's experience. Yeah. But not yours. Not mine. Exactly. Because, <laughs> yeah, you, you can just, you know, you can go to Wikipedia, textbooks and whatever. It's good, all good and well to read it, but you need to actually experience it or really know what it's like properly. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, you sort of hinted at this, but what was more difficult for you after receiving the diagnosis and knowing you had bipolar? Well, when I was first diagnosed, it was really hard because, like I said, a lot of the treatment for bipolar is medication and you never get it right on the first go. Yeah. And I felt a lot like a guinea pig being poked and prodded and experimented with mm. while I was introduced to, I think in the first year after my diagnosis, I was prescribed eight different medications. Yeah. And then wow. adjusting the dosages, dealing with the side effects of the medications. Um, it, it really took a toll on me because it seemed like the process was just taking forever. I was thinking to myself, how hard can it be? Mm. Like just prescribe the right medications. <laughs> Why is it this hard? And it just kept going on and on and on. And I was like, this is never going to end. I'm just going to be experimenting with drugs my whole life. Mm. So that was really hard and because it, it impacted my functioning. I know like the side effects <laughs> really did impair some some aspects of my functioning and that was really disheartening for me because I'm used to being so high functioning yeah that to lose any of that mm. was just absolute torture for me can you give us any examples of that yeah um so particularly with the lithium um I experienced really bad um hand tremors mm. uh so I was at uni at the time. I was doing my honours degree, which is difficult enough. Yeah. Um, I couldn't write in my exams because I could barely hold a pen. Mm. So I had to get special exemptions to use a computer for my exams. Okay. And I've never, ever had a special, ex like an exemption for anything before. So yeah. um, that's part of my pride, I guess, coming through. I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to have to sit the exam in another room and have all these special considerations and yeah, yeah just the bait like the hand tremor really bothered me mm. so it would have made you feel really isolated and like yeah you know, I like felt like you're getting treated differently because well, of yeah. what's going on and like i people on the outside could see that i had a hand tremor mm. and like you could see the way they they kind of looked at me and they said, oh, 
what's that about? Mm. Like, you know, and you could just tell, like, I think, like, a couple of times people have actually asked me um, if I was withdrawing from drugs or alcohol. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, a bit embarrassing, but, mm. I mean, at the end of the day, I knew that it wasn't going to last forever. Yeah. They were going to get the meds right. So. So what, what gave you that hope? Actually, it was my first hospitalisation. Um, I had never, ever met anyone with bipolar before. Yeah. Um, obviously, having a psychology degree, I've read every textbook and I know it back to front intellectually. Mm. Uh, never actually met anyone until I was first hospitalised and I met this girl who also had bipolar. And I've got to say that that was probably one of the pivotal turning points for me because I had just met someone who's going through exactly what I'm going through. Mm. She got things that no one else has ever understood and she had been diagnosed for quite some time and kind of gave me that hope that it does get better. Yeah. They will get it right eventually. Mm. You will get there. Okay. Well, I guess what I guess that sort of comes back to what you were saying earlier when you were diagnosed. It's sort of like normalization and that really the impact of feeling like you're not alone in the world and just feeling like you're not not weird or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I like I always knew there was something wrong. I always knew I was I was different. Yeah. And finding someone else who was different in the same way I was different mm. was a huge thing for me. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, just, you know, because we're social animals basically, so it, it helps to have someone who is similar to us. Definitely. Yeah. Another point I want to bring back up is that I think with you experiencing difficulties with the... the um, treatment that you received um you know that you said it it took a while to get the right dosage and and all that i think that goes to show how individual the experience of any particular disorder can be as well yeah definitely um and especially like with bipolar there's it's a spectrum so you get some people who get predominantly manic episodes Mm. so their their medication regime needs to be more targeted towards the mania side. And you get some people who have more depressive episodes, so the medication needs to be targeted more towards the depressive end. Yeah. Okay. So can you sort of give a bit of an account of where on that spectrum you you sit? Yeah, um, I I fluctuate. Yeah. So there will be – and it's – for me, it's very timely – I tend to have manic episodes and depressive episodes at the same time every year. Mm. Um, Usually in the summer months I will start picking up. So usually in the summer months my psychiatrist will prescribe me a little more uh, antipsychotics Mm. just to tame that mania. And then in the um, depressive episodes which usually happen in winter – she will add an antidepressant 
to my medication regime. So, I mean, I kind of fluctuate. I probably in – since I've been diagnosed and even before that, I would say I've had more depressive episodes than manic, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, the – the seasonal side of it. I never really heard about that before. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, 20% of people with bipolar actually have seasonal affective disorder as well. Okay. It's highly comorbid, but it seems to be the case, I think, with a lot of people that I, I've spoken to that have bipolar, that mm. it seems to kind of follow a cycle. There's almost a method to the madness in a way. Okay. It kind of does, well, for me especially, it, it definitely follows a cycle. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that that's new information to me. I'm sure it's new information to a lot of listeners too. Yeah. So I guess sort of knowing that and f- having figured that out, does, like, I would imagine that would make it a bit easier to be able to sort of predict what's coming to yeah. an extent. Yeah, definitely. Because it makes preparation that much easier i mean like i said my psychiatrist is so on top of it Mm. it's the weather starts getting cold and she's like oh time for an antidepressant because she knows what's coming Mm. um same same as in the summer months she's like oh weather's starting to warm up (laughs) how you feeling (laughs) you know (laughs) okay so if you were to say go to the northern hemisphere because we're down in the south Mm. uh, would would you have to adjust accordingly Funny you mentioned that. So I spent six months in Florida. Right. Uh, yeah, Northern Hemisphere, warm, tropical, beautiful. Mm. And I think that was before I was diagnosed and I think that was my first indication that, yep, this is hypermania. Okay. I was staying up all night, I wasn't sleeping and I put it down to jet lag and, mm. you know, three months in. Everyone's going, it's not jet lag. You've been there for three months. <laughs> yeah. You're not sleeping. Like yeah. You're a weirdo. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably the first indication. I, I did go a bit wild. Mm. There was a lot of impulsivity, a lot of risk taking. Yeah. Okay. But did you, what, what did you attribute it to? Because you said people were saying, oh, that's not jet lag, which it probably, you know, it wasn't. No, it what wasn't. Did, what did you think it was? I I honestly thought that it was just jet lag. Honestly, I've I've never I have never ever ever been a good sleeper. Yeah. Because, you know, of all things you can suck at, I suck at sleeping. Mm. I've always since birth either overslept or underslept. Okay. I could never manage to just get it right ever. Mm. And I just thought, well, I'm just a bad sleeper. I mm. kind of just accepted it. Okay. So when I went over there, I was like, oh, nothing different really. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's interesting. I've learnt a lot so far. <laughs> so um, another question I have is, We've sort of touched on this, but how do you think your diagnosis is perceived by people in society? We sort of talked about how it's portrayed, but how do you think it's perceived? You, you did mention that, you know, people think that bipolar uh, creative, which you're not. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, 
you know that you're crazy and, and yeah these these terms like any anything else you want to mention on that yeah um i think look i think it is getting better in the way it's perceived by society as yeah. a whole yeah. it's for me at the moment my biggest struggle is how it's perceived in the workplace okay um obviously i work in the healthcare sector mm. and you know the healthcare sector has one of the highest prevalence rates of mental illness of all occupations oh wow and yet we can't talk about it mm. and to me it's just so ironic that we talk about reducing stigma and normalizing mental health but that only seems to be reserved for the general public and for yeah. our clients yeah not for us we have to be totally well-adjusted yeah. and psychologically sound mm. all the time, which we're not. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting because I did want to touch on that topic that you, you know, you're, you're a provisional psychologist. or Yes, I am. Provisional yeah. psychologist and you, you have a mental illness. And I just wanted to talk about those, that pairing and yeah. what, what your thoughts are on, on that and whether you... You know, you obviously know a bit about that it is common in, in that sector. Yeah, I think my experience definitely makes me a richer cl clinician at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm not going to say that I understand every single client with bipolar. Like mm. I said, we all experience it differently. Yeah. But I have the experience. I know what suicidal thoughts feel like. I know what suicidal ideation looks like i can pick up patterns so quick in yeah. clients because that's really all it is it's just picking up patterns mm. and that's what i've gotten really good at is picking up patterns so yeah i think it definitely at the end of the day makes me a better psychologist for having it yeah so you see it as a benefit not a hindrance i do yeah Unfortunately, everyone else doesn't. Well, that's something <laughs> that's something we need to try and get rid of. Yeah. Because I I did have a I'm not going to mention who he, I don't actually remember his name unfortunately, but there was a, a lecturer in in my counseling course and he opened up to us and told us that he had depression. And hearing that from a guy who's in the field, it sort of like pricked your ears up a little bit and mm. You know, just sort of made you realize, you know, he really knows what he's talking about. Yeah, like I don't, I really honestly, I can't understand the stigma around it. Like we keep preaching that one in four Australians every year will suffer a mental illness. Mm. Like do people not think that part of that 25% are healthcare professionals? Like, Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't understand it. I have been told so many times, if you ever want a job in the future, you better not disclose your mental illness. Mm. I'm thinking, well, how, how's it any different from you taking insulin at lunch? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, doctors get sick too. Like, you know, medical doctors. Yeah, so 100%. What's the difference? There is no difference. Exactly. And I, I think it is really great to know that you see the benefit in it, that you, you're able to see these patterns in people and recognise signs 
may yeah. be easier than than other professionals. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you sort of uh, sort of mentioned a bit about this before. Um, so you you did experience suicidal thoughts. You have. Yeah. 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 Um, quite a few times. Um, usually when I'm depressed, mm. I tend to deteriorate very fast. It happens very quickly for me. Yeah. Um, and it usually does end up to the point of suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts. Mm. And I would say that when I was younger, I couldn't manage them mm. as well as what I can now. Yeah. So can you is it possible to give a bit of a bit of an insight into how you go about managing those thoughts? Yeah, for me, I think a lot has got to do with learning to regulate emotions, which yeah. I think does come with age in the sense that, you know, our brains haven't developed till we're 25. Mm. Um, so I do think part of it comes with age. But as well, having just a really strong support system has made all the difference for me. Yeah. And being able to just talk it out when I'm having those thoughts, when I'm having those ideas, mm. just literally talking them out with the people that are close to me and having – I've part of my treatment I have a management plan mm. that when things do start going bad – I make certain phone calls, I contact certain people, I let people know what's going on. Yeah. Well, that's that's really great that you you shared that because it sort of gives an insight into what happens when you go see a professional and that you have a plan in place because I think a lot of people don't know that, that that's a thing. Yeah. That they help you with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for sharing that. That's... It's really important to talk about suicide, yeah. Um, especially with you know the what's been going on around where I live, mm-hmm. and just anywhere really. It's it's a very serious issue. So your insight is is great. So thank you for that in Thanks. particular. Um, so how different is it to manage the the disorder compared to when you first started to learn how to manage it? It's gotten a lot easier as time has gone on. Um, it did take a few years to get the medication right. Yeah. Luckily for me, I have a really, really great psychologist who I've actually been seeing since I was 14. Okay. So she's a really pivotal part of managing mm. my disorder. Um, she's part of that management plan so that when things do start deteriorating i contact her and just keeping her in the loop with what's going on um i don't see her as often as i used to because i I don't need to i'm getting Mm. better at at managing it uh a lot of it's as well been a lot of self-discovery for me uh learning to know myself and what triggers me and what signs do i look for in myself yeah. that kind of indicate to me that I'm not well. Hmm. Okay. Well, can you share some of those signs? Like what do you look out for? 
Yeah, so a big thing for me, like I said earlier, are uh, sleep. Yeah. If I start sleeping too much or I start sleeping too little, mm. that's a big indicator for me that I'm becoming unwell. Um, also, irritability is a big thing for me. When yeah. I start getting really irritable, uh, really frustrated, annoyed, more than usual, mm. that's something that that indicates to me that um, I need to kind of get on that management plan. Yeah. But probably the most important thing for me, especially around the summer months, when I'm starting to cross over to that hypermanic side of the bipolar. Yeah. For me personally, everything slows down. Mm. Like I can hear a song on the radio that I've heard a hundred million times before and all of a sudden it sounds like so slow. Mm. I'm like, did they put it at half speed? Why is it so slow? Mm. And I'll think everything is so slow. I'll think everyone on the road is driving slow. People are walking slow. They're talking slow. I'm like, oh, hurry up. That's when I kind of, that's a big indicator for me. Mm. Wow. Okay. I don't know if it's weird to say, but I sort of pictured that dude from X-Men that makes time go slow and then he can whiz around. Yeah. Can you do that? I wish. Uh, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So another thing I want to bring back that you mentioned earlier as well is that um, the importance of just talking about things, like just opening up and and talking, because that's something that a lot of young people don't do, that you just feel like you don't know who to talk to, you don't know how to talk about it. So uh, what, what do you want to comment on the importance of just the act of talking? Oh, for me, talking is my ultimate therapy. And it doesn't matter who it's with. Yeah. It's therapeutic in itself, just talking. I know that um, a lot of psychologists and um, health professionals will kind of suggest journaling and, and writing, mm. which is which is great. Mm. However, I, I think it needs to be done in conjunction with talking. Yeah. Um, just having face-to-face -face human contact and having your communication reciprocated, yeah. not just kind of spewing out your, your thoughts but having some reciprocation mm. is just really important. Just even having a presence of someone is just really important. Mm. Absolutely. Because I do... I do sort of like the journaling idea, but I think it's still a thing of sort of being trapped in your own head still. Yeah, exactly. Like, I I mean, it, I, I'm probably seen as, as controversial for saying this, and but I do think that sometimes it can make things worse Yeah. by just spewing out and especially when the thoughts are negative mm. and you're kind of just wallowing in the in the negativity um i know i know it can be therapeutic for some people and they just want to get their thoughts out onto paper and that's great yeah but i think it can really really easily cross over to that 
unhelpful side yeah. where you kind of just get in your own head and it, you get stuck on a loop. and Yeah, because I think it does with journaling and, and all that, it does depend on your situation because what I reckon fuels it a bit more than negativity is the ability to flick back through the pages and, and be able to read these negative thoughts and sort of might even reinforce these thoughts in, in your head. Whereas if you just talk about it, then you can't really, unless you're recording it, you can't really just go back to it. And Yeah, definitely. It's It's got its pros and cons. I just, yeah, I think it just needs to be done in conjunction with talking. Yeah. I mean, it's great to have if you don't, have someone to talk to, mm. that's a great option. But if you do have someone to talk to, definitely. Mm. Okay. So I encourage everyone to talk. If if you're going through anything, just, just talk. And just talk. Just talk. So I guess, you know, we've talked a lot about stuff that covers this question, but... Um, who or what got you through the most difficult times? My mom. Hands down, my mom. She's She's been really inspirational for me. Mm. She's also um, suffered her own mental health issues. Yep. And she is the, probably the strongest and most powerful woman I know. Mm. And just having her to look up to and having her strength around me has made a world of difference. Yeah. Well, that's great. She must get really spoiled on Mother's Day. I can she imagine. She does. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> she, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but she's a psychologist too, right? Uh, my mom is a social worker. A social worker. Yes. So she's in the sector. She is. Okay. Yeah. So that's sort of what drove you a little bit to, yeah. to do that. Well, I, I think I drove her. Oh, wow. I started psychology first. She used to be an insurance broker. Okay. And then I started psychology and then a couple of years later, mum started social work. Wow. We kind of bounce off each other. Yeah. Well, that's that's really great that it goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you, what advice would you give to someone with the same or similar diagnosis who might be listening to this and... Maybe they're having a difficult time right now. Talk. Just talk it out. I mean, I know it's hard and especially there are times where you don't want to talk and you would rather just lay in bed and do nothing but lay there by yourself and never see a human being ever again. Yeah. But you need to push through it. You have to push through. Mm. It's really important to let people know what's going on for you yeah. so they can look out for you when you can't look out for yourself. Yeah, totally. Well, that's really great advice and I guess it's a simple first step, isn't it, just to just to talk, basically. Like, we can all talk. Yeah. Yeah, so great advice. Um, so I'm going to flip that question around a little bit. What do you think... Or what do you wish someone had told you in your most difficult periods when you were younger? I wish someone told me that it was going to make me a stronger woman and that 
it was going to eventually result in success and not failure. Hmm. Can you shed some light on that? How has this experience made you stronger and made you successful? Well, I think obviously my profession, it has a lot to do with my experience with mental health Mm. and wanting to help others. But it's made me a stronger person because I know that I've been to the darkest places. My head has taken me to the absolute darkest, scariest places and I'm still standing. There's, I really honestly feel like there is absolutely nothing that I could not handle. Mm. Well, that's, that's awesome to hear. And it's really cool to have inspiration coming from your own life and experiences. Just, you know, you inspire yourself. Yeah, sometimes I do. Sometimes yeah, I don't. Sometimes. <laughs> but I think that's something that everyone needs to learn to do. You need to learn to just appreciate yourself and what you've been through just to even get to w- the point that you're at. Because yeah. it's not easy out there. No, it's not. It's It takes a lot of self-compassion, Yeah, which I always struggled with. Yeah, And really in the last few years since my diagnosis, I've really been working on the relationship I have with myself mm. and being okay in my own skin, not being too hard on myself when I am unwell. Yeah, um, Not being afraid to you know take a mental health day if i need to Mm. and really just showing myself that compassion you know i kind of tell myself if it were anyone else and they were struggling i would just say take a day you Mm. know so why can't i do that for myself exactly well what do you do when you take a day take a mental health day as you call it when i take a mental health day i'm usually catching up on sleep Mm. resting and I'm, I'm really trying to just do self-care yeah whatever that is for me at the time like in the summer months I just need to be outside mm. I just need to be in the sun I need to be listening to music and that can kind of recuperate me or in the winter months I try and do something for myself because yeah. I kind of that's my depressive period in the mm. in the um, winter months. So I try and do things for myself. For me, um, I tend to neglect my appearance when I'm in the depressive episodes. Yeah. So I'll go out and I'll get a manicure or get my hair done, just do something for myself. Yeah. It's, it's important because they do, in our profession – they drill you with self-care. Like yeah. it is really important. I yeah. don't think a lot of people get taught that a lot. No, and it's 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 a weird thing because how do you teach self-care? Because self-care is so individual. And I learnt that kind of in the last few years, finding what works for me. Yeah. What self-care strategies work for me. And because, you know, I was kind of asking everyone else, like, what do you do? What do you do? And some people say, oh, yeah, I go to the gym. I'm like, that will never, ever happen for me. (laughs) You will never catch me in a gym. So I'm like, no, that doesn't work for me. And it kind of took a few years of fine-tuning to kind of figure out what my self-care looks like. Yeah. 
It's, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. So again, just like the disorder, the self-care is also very individual. You got to, you got to try things, might not work, try something else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings me to the listener questions. Okay. We got some listener questions. So if you do want to submit listener question, make sure you comment stuff on the Facebook posts that I put out. Um, so we've got a few here. We've got three today, okay. which is exciting. So I've, we've actually already got some listeners from overseas, so not in Australia. So shout out to shout them. Shout out. Yeah. Wherever you might be listening in the world, it's exciting. So Pam from Hawaii. Hawaii, but she lives in the Netherlands. Oh. Interesting change there. Yeah. Good on you, Pam. (laughs) (laughs) So she wanted to know, was it easy to reach out to a friend or family member or was it hard even though people asked you if you needed to talk about it? For me personally, it wasn't hard because I'm such a talker. Yeah. That's kind of how I get through situations, I just talk it out. That's my way of doing things and I'm really blessed in that I've always had really close family members and really close friends around me. Mm. Although I I do know other people who completely shut off and won't talk. So, I mean, for me personally, it was okay. Yeah. But I know... it's a struggle for other people. Yeah. Do you think it might be particularly a struggle for guys? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a brother who has mental illness and he actually just said to me this week, he's a tradie, so yeah. very blokey mm. kind of profession. And he was saying to me like, you know, we just don't talk about it. As yeah. guys, we just don't talk about it yeah and he said when i do guys don't even know how to respond they just say stupid shit like so i I really it really broke my heart to hear that Mm. because if i didn't have people to talk to I, i can't even imagine where i would be i can't imagine how hard it must be yeah it is you know i i haven't had you know bad experiences but i as a guy i do know that it is hard to open up to other guys yeah and you just i don't know why it's like that Mm. i guess you know there are a few reasons why it could be like that but it 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 is a complicated thing and yeah it shouldn't be like that no yeah anyway that's uh something to to think about um but we'll move on to the next listener question. So we've got a couple from South Australia. Oh. So shout out to South Australia. Wineries. Wineries and uh, <laughs> what else is there? Unemployment. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Good luck to you in no, South No, it's a beautiful Australia. place. It's a great place. Beautiful. Great place. So first one is from Harriet. From South Australia. She's very supportive of the podcast. So shout out to Harriet. Hey, Harriet. So 
She wants to know, what's your experience with manic and hypermanic episodes? You've already talked a bit about it, but... Uh, yeah. Um, probably the thing I want to say is that a lot of people associate hypermania and mania with this sense of euphoria and that we're on cloud nine and so happy and upbeat. Yeah. And no one talks about the other type of mania, which is the irritable mania, mm. usually in textbooks and even in the DSM-5, no one mentions it. Yeah. Um, but if you go and look on any mental health blogs, a lot of bipolar people talk about it. Um, a lot of my experiences with hypermania and mania have been a really irritable experience. I tend to – I don't get violent, but I have been – quite aggressive and yeah yeah it's not a pleasant experience mm. <laughs> it's not that feel good euphoria it can be it has been before but but eight times out of ten it's not the pleasant mania that everyone kind of probably thinks of yeah so that again, that's another another thing you see in movies and stuff mm. that, that just give you the wrong idea of what's yeah, going on. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, we'll get to our last listener question. This is from Kiara from South Australia. So she's friends with Harriet, I believe. Oh. So it's a double question. So I guess I'll ask it in two bits. So what is the worst? aspect about living with bipolar oh um the side effects of the medication uh a lot has to do with weight i have to really kind of watch what i eat mm. a lot of the um medications increase appetite so i really have to be on top of it and make a double conscious effort yeah and with the lithium, I have to go get blood tests every three months to check my lithium levels, which is just kind of just another task and gets annoying mm. doing it every three months yeah. for the rest of my life. Um, and really just the stigma, mm. particularly in my profession. Yeah. I hate that I can't be open and honest and transparent like someone with diabetes could be. Mm. Do you think you will be in in certain cases in the workplace you'll you'll be open uh, like for example maybe would you think of disclosing that to a client or or to your colleagues or Yeah, I have disclosed it to a couple of colleagues before. Yeah. Uh that's hasn't really been an issue. Um, and I would only really disclose to clients if I thought it was in their best interest. Yeah. Because it's really not about me. Mm. Um, if I thought that they were going to get a benefit from me disclosing, mm. yes, I wouldn't have a problem disclosing. Okay. It's like a it's like a bit of an ace up your sleeve, isn't it? It is a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um so the other side of that, of Kiara's question is, 
what's the best aspect about living with bipolar? Productivity, hands down. Oh, yeah? Hands down. What can you tell us about that? Um, when I start getting manic, I am the most productive person ever. I can clean the house top to bottom in 30 minutes, write three essays. Uh, yeah, it's, it's insane how productive <laughs> I can be. I love it. Well, there's uh, <laughs> maybe a little side business for you in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might get you around to, to do the lawns at my place. <laughs> Very slack with that. I draw the line at lawns. Oh, Sorry. That's a shame. I <laughs> guess I'll have to do it probably this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, mum and dad. Been a bit slack. <laughs> No, it hasn't rained. It hasn't rained a lot. Yeah, so it's been very, true. very dry, that's very true. dry grass. Okay, so I want to sort of move on from talking about the mental illness now and just to see what you have achieved in life so far and what you're working towards. So um, I just want to ask, what are you most proud of that you've accomplished so far? I got a master's degree. Nice. Yeah, that's my probably biggest achievement for me because throughout my uni studies, that's when I was diagnosed with bipolar. Yeah. And so many times I wanted to drop out. I, I do just, remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I, so many times I wanted to drop out. And thank God I had amazing supervisors at uni yeah. who wouldn't let me drop out. And just said, you know, we will support you in any way to mm. make this happen. Like you are getting your degree. It's happening. Yeah. So that was probably my biggest achievement because it's been really hard. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. That's beyond. I mean, it's hard enough to just do do it without a mental illness. Yeah. And uh, you did it with did one. It. So congrats. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. So what are you working towards at the moment? What am I working towards? Yeah. Like in, in your profession or maybe you got a hobby or something that you're working towards? I'm actually working towards buying my first investment property. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's really exciting. Mm. And yeah, professionally, I'm kind of just working towards my general registration. Yeah. I've just got one year left mm. of supervised practice. And then I will be fully registered. Wow. That's the dream. Living the dream. Yeah, absolutely. So how's your, uh, you know, working towards registration going? You, how are you finding that? <laughs> the work is fine. I love my job. I would do it for free. Yeah. Um, the bureaucracy is the hard part. Mm. And dealing with... Um, the health practitioner regulation agency. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of hoops to jump through, a lot of paperwork, a lot of politics. Um, that's probably the hardest part for me. I'm really enjoying the journey. Um, like I said, I, I love my job and everything that we kind of have to do to tick off the checklist, I yeah. enjoy doing anyway. Yeah. So makes it a lot easier for me. I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the journey. Mm. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's good that it's not all bad. 
No, it's not all bad. <laughs> yeah, it's mainly good from the mainly good. Yeah. So, uh, where do you see yourself in in a year's time? I will be fully registered in a year's time. I don't know where I'll be. I don't know if I'll be in public systems still. Mm. Um, I don't know. Hopefully I'll have my investment property. Yeah. And I will be a registered psychologist somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Just see where the, where the road takes me. Yeah, wow. Well, you know, definitely something to look forward to there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what are some indications that you're doing a lot better now? My functioning has increased. Mm. I don't have as many episodes anymore. And when I do have them, they are less intense and tend to be shorter in duration. Yeah. So that's a really good indication for me. Um, And really just kind of hitting all my goals Mm. at the moment. Great. Smashing it. Smashing it. Yeah. And um, what do you hope for the long-term future? It's a big question. I really hope that in the long-term future I can be open and transparent with mental illness Mm. in the workplace. I hope that something changes about the stigma around mental illness in the healthcare profession. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really hope that changes. Well, you could be the one to break all the barriers. Oh, I could be. Yeah. I mean, if there are, if it is somewhat common, mm. then I think if you just get a few people to speak out about it and that, that it is, you know, people in the sector have mental illness and that's okay. Yeah. Then... There could be a movement in that. Yeah. So that's that's cool. I hope that happens. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> okay. Um, so do you want to do another question from the mysterious golden Chinese okay. box? I really like this box. You can't have it. Sorry. Yeah. All right. What do you got? What was your dream job when you were a kid? Hetty from South Australia. Yeah, Hetty, Harriet, same person. Um, Shout out. <laughs> I actually wanted to be a journalist. Whoa. Yeah. Weird. Like that's a weird thing for when a kid to say. When did that change? Um, I would say when I was like 13. Yeah. Yeah. So you... Didn't you last long. You were less... You were under 13 and you wanted to be a journalist. Yeah, weird, right? Did you watch the news a lot or something? What, what, what's going on? I don't think so. That's weird. It is weird. Yeah. I just liked writing. I was a good writer. I was really good at English. Oh, okay. And people told me, like, if you're really good at English, you can be a journalist. So I was like, well, I guess that's what I'm destined to do. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I guess people planted the idea in your yeah. head. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, shout out if you're a journalist out there. <laughs> well done. Well done. You followed Tara's dream. <laughs> Good job. Okay, so we're coming up to the end. Um, 
one thing I want to do on the podcast is to sort of promote um, feeling good as well. And one way that I want to do that is ask every guest, what is your ultimate feel-good song? Oh, so what is it? Tell me what easy. it is first. It's Pocket Full of Sunshine by Natasha Bedingfield. Great. Well, don't play just yet. So how this is going to work is okay. that I'm paranoid of being sued, basically. I don't know. Me too. I have that too. Yeah. I don't know exactly the regulations around using music. I've, re- I've read a lot of things and, you know, no one has any real idea. So the way this is going to work is that we're going to listen to one second of the song. Okay. You guys won't hear it because I'll cut it out because I'm paranoid. But because we're busy people, we w- we're only going to listen to a second of it. Okay, and then you'll hear our reaction to the awesome song that has made us feel good for a second. Here we go. Oh, my God. What? I think I can taste sounds, <laughs> smell colours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was really amazing. Like, that, that second just changed my life. Like, I don't... I don't know what I would do without that second. <laughs> but I do encourage you to go check out that song. What was that song called again? Pocket Full of Sunshine, Natasha Bedingfield. Right. Everyone go get it. Go check it out. It's Tara's ultimate feel-good song. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. So the final question I have for you today mm-hmm. is what is one final thing you would want people listening to take away from this? Just talk. Just talk. Just talk. Yeah. Let people know what's going on for you. Simple. Simple. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to wanna say? No. I just want to say thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for taking an interest. Hopefully, we'll get more questions next time. Yes. Um. I guess you can contribute to the questions now yourself. I can. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, that's all we've got for you now. So thank you very much to Tara for taking the time to allow me into your house (laughs) and to share your experiences. It's been really great, really insightful, and I've learned a lot too, and I'm sure the listeners will too. Thanks for having me. No worries. Well, Thank you to the listeners for listening and supporting the podcast. So don't forget to like and subscribe on Facebook and SoundCloud and we'll see you soon. And also, if you think you would like to be a guest on the podcast, get in contact with me via the the Facebook, if you know me personally, my Facebook, or however you can. Carry a pigeon, whatever, whatever you want. I've got a pigeon nest at my house. I think it's a courier pigeon. Courier? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) You learn everything (laughs) here, don't you? And um, I'm working on getting this on iTunes as well. Maybe you're hearing this on iTunes. I'm hoping to have it done before this is released. But uh, that's all. Thank you. And uh, like and subscribe. 